You're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast. Uh, it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo and Cricket Hoekstra. Hello. Hello. Is joining me again to co-host this episode. We're going to be talking mainly to Mary Graham. Hello. Uh, so I have a librarian to my left and a librarian to my right. And this was a wide ranging conversation about youth librarianship. We sat down here with the purpose of talking about what it was like to be a youth librarian during a pandemic, which I promise we got to at some point. There were a few uh, diverging tangents. We got into dinosaurs. We got into horses. We got into penguins. Uh, we got into some serious discussion about, you know, reading at your level, reading beyond your level, reading under your level. What does all that mean? Um, did you guys enjoy your time on the podcast today? Sure did, Jeff. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. <laughs> Here's our chat on youth librarianship. Give us some of your origin stories as a youth librarian, I guess. You were in Boston formerly, and now you're here in Michigan, and you've been, I guess, trying to develop yourself as a youth librarian all kind of within the window of a pandemic, which has just got to be surreal. surreal. It sure is something, Jeff. <laughs> um, I feel like I should clarify. I was in Michigan as a tiny human. Sure. And then I was in Boston only for about a year and a half as a grown human. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yep, so I went to Simmons for... Uh, library school and I worked as I think I was technically a senior library assistant at the Newton Free Library in their children's room which is quite large and staffed by many lovely people mm -hmm. um, and I basically got to do everything the librarians did except uh, collection development and or calling yourself a librarian well, calling myself a librarian <laughs> uh, being part of a union having health insurance uh, oh yes <laughs> collection development um and I, I didn't do like a whole lot of like long-term planning stuff sure um but uh but other than that and we were in charge of our own circulation back there as well so i got to be basically circulation clerk reference i did story times i did bigger programs like it was a, a really fantastic experience um what about this this question yes why youth librarianship an excellent question <laughs> um you now work in the kids corner I what do. drew you to the kids corner what drew me to the kids corner was that i was a kid who loved books that's beautiful <laughs> and um and in high school my senior year of high school we got a new librarian uh who actually i think was only there for my senior year i, mm -hmm. I think she went somewhere else after i graduated but shout out to tracy erickson this is all your fault yeah. um <laughs> because she came in and she like blew all the dust off the library she made really interesting displays she had book club like i went to book club for the first time and she always you know if we were in there on our study hall or we just decided to hang out there for lunch like she would just let us talk about the books we were reading and just she always had her own opinions she wanted to hear ours she was interested in us she made the library fun she made the library fun. it's got it's it's got to be fun. It's true. Unheard and I mean, of. I was already a pretty voracious reader, like even when the library hadn't been that fun. But it was like, oh, this is a, a cool, interesting person. And I knew I wanted to be an English major going into college. But mm -hmm. I also knew because I was too close to all of my high school English teachers that I didn't want their jobs. <laughs> uh, because <laughs> I saw how many papers they were taking home at the end of the day. And I thought that is not for me. Also, I was a high schooler. I right. was like, why would I come back here? Um, so truly... <laughs> Big thank you to anyone who goes back to middle school or to high school to right. teach people. Right. Um, Serious undertaking. Backbone of society. We Truly. should be paying you three times. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, but I was like, what can I do? What can you do with a BA in English that is not teaching high school English? Right. And I thought, well, Miss Erickson was pretty cool over there in the library. I could probably do that. Um, and I, I went to Wayne State for undergrad. Loved the entire English department there. Had some really great classes on children's and young adult literature with Dr. Nicole Wilson, who's not there anymore, but um, was just fantastic and so supportive as I was figuring out that, like, definitely I wanted to go to library school. And I also had a bunch of jobs in college where I was working with kids. I worked with Summer in the, in the city here in Detroit um, with their junior volunteers one summer. I was a camp counselor in West Virginia for one summer. And I was like, oh, like... I enjoy working with children. I think they are interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I also like kept them all alive as a camp counselor and they seemed to like me. So right. <laughs> I thought that'll probably bode well. Right. I have seen that as a rare gift for people who work with kids or 
teenagers is seeing them each as individual humans and not like a clump of yeah. spawn, basically. Right. Basically, yeah. <laughs> not everybody has that yeah. outlook. And like, to be fair, I did have weeks as a camp counselor where I was like, you all are just a mass of people and you won't stop talking and you won't go to sleep. Um, but that is different than working, you know, in a library where I get a lot more one on one sort of things and someone else is responsible for putting them to sleep. Yes. Um, and so, I mean, I really do feel like I get kind of like the best working with kids kind of job because mm-hmm. I don't have to grade their papers. I normally don't have to tell them to stop doing things. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the thing that I maybe say, you know, stop doing most is like walking feet, please. Like, please do not. Walking feet, right. Do, do you know, drag racing through our, through our shelves. They're all, um, they're all, they're all complex yeah, individuals that, with their own emotions, their own thoughts. Exactly. And I love when, like, especially having been here at this library now for about six months, I really am starting to know people's names. Like when they come back in, I'm like, hey you know, how was the last book you read? Like, mm-hmm. I remember that this is what you like and things like that. And uh, it's it's truly the best feeling. And I also love even just like look around the kids corner as a space, mm-hmm. which we recently did some renovations on at the turn of the year. If you're in the Ferndale area, come mm-hmm. check it out. It looks come really on cool. in. But it is a space that is built for children. Mm-hmm. The desk is a height that kids can see over. Right. And so little of the world is built for like people who are small yeah Um, Yeah. and so you know i love that they march right up to the desk and they can see over it and and my favorite thing is when especially like the little ones are very serious and Mm -hmm. they're like where are your books about penguins (laughs) and and you have to sort i mean you have to take them seriously and be Mm -hmm. like there is a number for the penguins and we are going to go find that number and you are going to get as many books about penguins as you want right and (laughs) it's just the best feeling i have the best job I do actually remember from being a little kid that at my local library, the circulation desk, all the counters were very high. And then there was one low desk at the end, which was probably also for people with disabilities. But to me, having that one that was my height Mm -hmm. was so special. It made me feel important. So I'm so glad that our youth room is a whole room built like that for kids. Also, just shout out to nonfiction books for kids in general. That was one of my favorite aspects of doing research projects as a as a fourth or fifth grader was getting to go to the library and i guess i was an exciting kid was getting <laughs> to go to the library and actually look at these books about whatever penguins or the history of switzerland or whatever listen like and, oh, so- this is an entire book with pictures all about switzerland and i i want to say there's a special thrill i'm i'm a millennial who grew up almost without the internet but i i wonder if kids today can also tap into this if I'm holding that penguin book or that Switzerland book, there's like this quiet thrill of like, I'm the only one holding this piece of information at the moment. It's not the internet. Wah-ha-ha. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally, I totally get that. So I'm in charge of the children's nonfiction section here. I'm the the selector for it. Um, I basically spent the first four-ish months of working here going through it book by book oh, uh, to, get, to get to know it. And she's I was, seen the penguins. I've seen <laughs> the penguins. And, and she's I've seen, seen Switzerland. Switzerland. And it's so funny you mentioned that, though, because uh, at the, the, the 900s in, in Dewey is history and geography. And so it's, it's right at the very end. And so the end of going through everything book by book, I was going through all of our countries of the world books. Mm-hmm. You know what eight-year-old Mary Graham loved? A country of the world book yes. and there's this particular series by scholastic called enchantment of the world and i so clearly remember going to the branch library around the corner from my house and getting the book about austria uh-huh. out because i had just watched the sound of music and i was like where does this take place like this is the most on brand mary graham story <laughs> i think i've ever told on this podcast which is saying something i just watched the sound of music i was like well that takes place in austria i want to know more about austria off i went to the library yes. and i got this book out and i remember like turning the page and being like terrified because there's a picture of Krampus in there uh, oh. from like Christmas celebrations uh, and like turning the or, or like a it's a street performer dressed as Krampus. You're, you're getting um, all of Austria. You're getting all of Austria. all of Austria. But like I remember like sitting in the back of the car reading this book and turning the page and like starting because I did not expect there to sure. be this like scary surprise. <laughs> and sure enough, as I was going through our entire Enchantment of the World series, I got to Austria and I was like, I bet. And I flipped through it. And indeed, same edition, that picture is there. It still startled me, even Mm -hmm. though I was on the lookout for Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And there's so much interesting happening in nonfiction for kids right now. We just got a book in about like 
urban ecology, like animals that live in cities and, and the scientists who study them. Um, and it's this team of like mostly black scientists. And they're also talking about citizen science and what you just as a person who lives in the city can like do with, with the wildlife Excellent. there and how you can interact with it like safely, but also help protect it. And I was flipping through it and I was like, Yes. I am a grown human and I am riveted by this. Oh, yeah. And I'm so happy that also like a 10 year old can come in. I love it. And just take that and be like, ooh. I love it. Yeah. I did not get enough science exposure. This has nothing to do with tonight's episode, folks. I just did not have enough science exposure until high school, which was unfortunate. Which I mean... is unfortunate because, like, and I very much like pigeonholed myself as like an English and history kid. Sure. Um, but, you know, even just going through some of our science books now, now we have this whole series that's like physics for children, mm -hmm. including particle and quantum and nuclear physics. Mm -hmm. It's got, I think, a little a little red kangaroo yep. takes you through all of it. Um, uh -huh. And as I was like ordering it, I was like, this is so cool. Right. Where was this? when I was 12. Right. Exactly. And, and uh, so that is one of my other favorite parts of my job is buying all of these books that like i genuinely think are cool but also think are just so like lovely and interesting and useful right. and i'm glad that you know i'm seeing them now for the first time as an adult and i'm making sure that kids will see them much right. much sooner than that right so, mary graham yes you've gone through the whole youth nonfiction collection yes do you now know everything I <laughs> you know <cricket>. is it possible <laughs> <laughs> that you are the smartest librarian in the world it's a it's a great question um i, I am gonna so. go with no <laughs> but we're getting there question mark i'll let you know when i hit it i want to be on our trivia team with you yeah i should well, have introduced mary graham as the oracle now uh, <laughs> it would be false advertising but <laughs> but i mean i i especially as like get new books in but now that i've also gone through the whole section um i do think about that one guy who was on jeopardy they and they were like what's your he did this long winning streak and they were like what's your secret and he was like i go to the children's section of the library and read all the books because that is about the level of trivia knowledge that that jeopardy is going for <laughs> right oh, so snap. yeah um you know primarily i am very invested in the fact that the kids section is for kids right first and foremost right because they don't have a lot of places really that are just for them. Right. That being said, grown-ups, there's some really cool stuff back here. Yeah. And a lot of kids are great at sharing. That tip, yes. Maybe so. not so much some of the toddlers I see, but they are young and they are working on it. So <laughs> Right. But like everything is back here, whether it is of course. Switzerland or penguins of or General MacArthur or Lake Titicaca. It's all yeah. back here. Yeah. And to First, be fair to the toddlers. Moon landing. To be fair to the toddlers, you know, also. If I'm minding my own business and someone also wants to play with the drum, I was here first. So I understand <laughs> you. It is truly the, the more that I have worked with kids and especially younger kids, the more I look at them and I go, oh, I am just a toddler who got very tall <laughs> because, you know, when I'm cranky, I probably either need a snack or a nap. Yep. And just sometimes you have big feelings and you feel like you don't have room for them all in your tiny little body. Oh and my God, yes. Like... You know, you have little fits. I'm yeah. very sticker motivated. Also that I can get myself to do anything by promising myself a sticker. Yeah. 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 And I, I also, you know, public libraries are one of the last true public places. And this is something we discussed in one of my reference classes in library school is I had a, a classmate who was also working on her like education certifi certificate. And she said, you know, I never understand why people get mad when there's like a crying baby on a bus. Like, that's a public bus. Mm -hmm. You're in public. Mm -hmm. The baby has as much a right to be in public as you do. And right. the baby doesn't know how to talk yet. Right. So if you wanted to go somewhere where there's not a crying baby, assuming you don't have a baby of your own, go home. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? And, and you, so even when we do, when it is loud in here, mm -hmm. or when, you know, we do have toddlers who are having kind of a rough time, I, bless his little heart, I once saw a kid melt down in front of, a circulation desk and he was going so hard his face was red mm, he looked yeah. like a little tomato i think i was, and I was like day. first of all i respect your commitment to the bit young man <laughs> um, but so, and, and and his poor parents were so apologetic and i was like hey this is the kid's room right he's a kid right he belongs here even when he's not having the best time what kind of kid's room would we be if we were like you can only come here on your good days right. it wouldn't be a very good one that's right. so true so 
that, 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 I mean, that comes to the whole thing of like trying to treat children like adults. Yes. They really yeah. shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think we're going to. Don't you know you should be quiet here? <laughs> I think we're planning to get into like, you know, more stuff with, uh, you know, like like censorship sure, and things sure, later. Sure. Um, but but something I do want to bring up now is the idea of of treating kids not like adults because developmentally they aren't, but treating them like people. Yeah. And often I think you know when we we think about treating folks like people, right. we equate that with an adult. Right. And that's not the same. No. You can treat a kid like a person, but also respect where they're coming from, mm-hmm. which exactly. is that they're the front of their brain. It's not done yet. It's not done yet. <laughs> it's just not done yet. <laughs> And that's okay. <laughs> More time in the oven. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Cricket used to be a teen librarian. I what's did. That, what's that story? I spent 10 years working with teenagers. There you go. Because so. like Mary Graham was a kid who loved books. I mean, I was also a kid who loved books, but then I became a teenager who loved books. And I think when I was a teenager was when books really became my lifeline. I don't know anybody who was like, wow, the teenage years were like... The most easygoing, relaxing, just smooth sailing years of my life. <laughs> On television and in movies, yes. They're, they're um, but yeah, so that, I, I kind of... So that wasn't what you went, you didn't come out of library school saying, I am a youth librarian. No. Well, okay, so I went to library school thinking of course. I was going to be an academic librarian. Oh, okay. Because I worked in my college library. Um, I basically showed up at my college library and was like, hello, I would like to be a librarian. Will you hire me for a job? And a librarian took pity on me (laughs) and was like, I need an assistant. And um, so I didn't even really have a job title. I was just kind of like there. So sometimes I was like running around campus finding his umbrella because he'd left it somewhere. Sometimes I was um, transcribing interviews that he did. Sometimes I was shelving books. Sometimes I was making displays, doing like more traditional library things. But, you know, I liked it. It was a lot of everything. And I was like, oh, okay, so I'm going to go to library school. I'm going to be an academic librarian. Mm -hmm. So I went to library school. And at the University of Michigan, a lot of your credits came through practical hands-on internships. And the internship, I got an internship in the University of Michigan Special Collections, and that was really fun, but it was also very cold because I was in the archives. Literally 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 very cold. This is part of where the cardigan stereotype comes from, y'all. Like, partially it's that, you know, in a public library, you don't always have control over your own you know, HVAC, you blah, blah. never have service, A municipal system or something. <laughs> like, it just doesn't work. But if you work in special collections, in order to keep the books happy, it has to be cold. So cold. So cold. Guardigans. So it was an absolute blast um, because they kept, like, um, a special Edward Gorey collection back there. That's why I got, like, super into Edward Gorey, just, like, going through all these Edward Gorey books and making sure they were categorized in the correct way. Um, but I was really cold and I was really lonely. Mm-hmm. Like, there weren't a lot of people there. And so I was like, well, I still have to get some of these credits. I'm going to get an internship in a public library as well and just, like, see what happens. And I had also worked circulation in a public library before, so I knew I liked it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the library where I got my internship, um, unfortunately, the teen librarian was having a lot of medical issues when I showed up. So they were kind of like, quick, we we need help desperately in the teen area because of the situation. Um, Do you want to try this out? And I was kind of like, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it turned out I loved it. So it kind of got thrown into my lap. And I guess the other thing that I had been kind of ashamed of was that I was still reading all kinds of teen lit as an adult. And I thought that that was like developmentally weird of me. Like I would kind of go to the library and like kind of sidle into the teen area and like. This is a whole topic. (laughs) I'm sure it is. It's a whole topic. Um, And I was still just like reading it and loving it. So those two things matched up. I realized again that it hadn't been that long since I'd been a teen and that each teen was a human with interests and hopes and dreams of their own and not just like a clump of people that you suspect are making fun of your pants. And that's how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I became a teen librarian. <laughs> but the uh, I'm sure you had developed, I guess you're saying, similar to, to Mary Graham, a whole philosophy on how you approach these individuals as people, not as, you know, stereotypes of, you know, ripped jean wearing, grunge listening, uh, mouthing off kids. They're all, you know, yeah. tender-hearted souls too. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of times in the library, they do tend to move as a pack. 
Um, (laughs) So it is something to keep in mind. And, you know, they're also laughing a lot because everything is funny when you're a teenager. And I think where like some adults go wrong is they assume that the teenagers are laughing at them. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. They might be. They might be. But it's not personal. You have to remember back to the days when you were a teenager and everything was hilarious. And for me, it hadn't been that long. And like Mary Graham was saying, kids' brains aren't done yet. Neither are teens. They're Mm -hmm. really not that much further along. Their brains aren't done yet, but they're legally allowed to operate heavy machinery. Right, right, right. right. And convenient, you know, I was... imagine the kind of stress they are under. (laughs) (laughs) I was under 25 when I started this too. So my brain wasn't done yet either. Mm -hmm. So it all worked out. We kind of floundered together. I don't think my brain is done yet either. What I'm getting from (laughs) is that when I'm just going to just blanket statement and sum this up. When you're a child, the world is seems very big. But in a way, when you become a teen, the world gets smaller. Little. It's all about your personal world, your clique of friends, maybe. And you aren't really thinking about, I don't know, the feelings of the silly adult over there that you might be laughing at, especially if it's me, you're probably laughing at me. Is that and is that maybe why it's harder to reach teens? I'm not trying to say they're closed off, but maybe their worlds are just smaller between the ages of 14 and 18. This I, is this mm. is a psychology podcast now. <laughs> I also think, I mean, thinking about my own teenage years, which aren't that far behind me, um, my world did feel small in that like very focused on friends kind of way, yeah. but it also felt small in a very circumscribed way. High school is when I got very into Doctor Who because mm-hmm. this story about this alien who has a box that can take him anywhere That's... was extremely like it's what I needed because right. <laughs> I felt like I did the same thing every, you know, I went to the same building for seven hours right. every day. Right. Sometimes I went to play rehearsal, which was fun. But other than that, I was like always tired, never mm-hmm. got enough sleep. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go to the public library, library very much in high school because I didn't have time in it and drive, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think is yeah. part of, I mean, this is, this is something here at Ferndale that we, I don't want to say that we struggle with it, but it is, a challenge of like, how can we best serve our teen patrons, understanding that they really can't always get to us. Mm -hmm. Most of our teen programs, we go to the high schools for. Um, Actually, uh, I was just at University High School last night for their Black Excellence program, Mm -hmm. loaded up the wagon with a lot of YA nonfiction and novels by Black authors and checked books out to people. And it was really great. And like, we got to see um, like all of their arts presentations. There were there was the dance team, there was spoken word and poetry and, and things like that. And it was just, it was a real, like, teenagers are so great and interesting and creative. And and I, I don't take it personally when they can't always get to us, mm-hmm. you know. I've also noticed that a lot of teens um, have their, they have no control over their own schedules. It's true. And they are crammed so full of extracurriculars. So it's not just like... Being at school seven hours a day, but then you've got play practice. And after that, you have National Honor Society. And after that, you're three hours of homework, three hours of homework. And then, you know, if you have time, maybe you can talk to a friend on the phone for a while. Um, A lot of your reading is assigned. So if you're not like a voracious bookworm, you've got your hands full trying to read The Great Gatsby. And the the moment you get (laughs) or Mark Twain. (laughs) Right. And the moment you get time to yourself, you want to justifiably uh, turn off your brain. Yeah, like maybe. More or less, just If relax. you were me, it means that you want to read something that you want to read for a change by. And right. like not every teen was me. And I, I actually spent a lot of time at the public library when I was a teenager because I could get to it from my house on my bike, right. which not everybody could. And then when I learned to drive, I think it was like the first place I went. And I really, really liked to just like have a space kind mm-hmm. of like alone where I could get my homework done, but then also like read a book for fun without, you know, having this expectation that there was something else I should have been doing, like, you know, working on my college applications mm-hmm. or cleaning my room or something like that. So, yeah, I think they can be hard to reach. But like Mary Graham said, you can go to where they are and also realize that their time and their lives are not necessarily 100% their own right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is why here we very much, you know, take the attitude of, you know, what can we do for you? Mm-hmm. Like, we're not going to be fussed, you know, that you're not in here all the time or or anything like that. Except sometimes we do get teenagers in here, like even back in the kids' corner, which I think is great. Um, and I've, I've had groups of teens back here who are laughing at absolutely everything and who and sometimes they'll shush each other you know and they'll say you know she's gonna yell at us or being too loud and i'll even say actually like no like this is a totally fine volume 
guys the only people in here um i do ask that you stop slapping each other um, <laughs> you know i know it's all in good fun but like that's that's against uh, library rules guys sure and they're like fair 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 um and they stop and they Great. keep laughing at literally everything including Great. probably me and it's fine because i'm happy they're back here yeah you know um i've i've been in libraries where the the teen space is is a, its own separate room that is not always open when the rest of the library is open. Mm-hmm. And that was the case at my library when I was a teenager and I hated it oh, because okay. I was like, the library's open. That's where my books are right. and the doors are shut. Right. Oh, so was, when you were there, you might not be able to get in there. It's true. And they would say, you know, if you're looking for a specific book, we can send someone in there to grab it. But I never did that. I was a shelf browser. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's part of, you know, equitable services to people regardless of age is like if your library is yeah. open your section with the kids books or the or the teen books better be open too mm-hmm. because it's again public spaces for everyone it's their space too yeah or even think about me in college wanting to sneak into the teen area and grab my yeah. stuff or my my high school english teachers all read a lot of ya because they wanted to keep up with what we were reading yeah you know that doesn't make a lot of sense to me shut the doors what about that idea of maybe and it comes into a facet of the job where we are recommending books to read or we're advising and by we i mean not myself because i'm not the librarian in the room but that i that whole issue of of reading at your level and um you know adults shouldn't read ya and a a fourth grader shouldn't read a book for a sixth grader and all these rigid rules where where do we stand how do we feel about that this is something that I have a lot of very strong thoughts about and something that I overhear relatively frequently. Mm-hmm. So um, if a <clears throat> if a grown person is talking to me directly, you know, about their kids and is maybe worrying about where they are on levels or like, oh, they only read a lot of graphic novels or something like that, I will be try to be very clear and be like, listen, reading is reading. If your kid is enjoying it, don't ruin it. You know, right. I'll say it nicer. But, right, you know, right, right. graphic novels are reading. If they love audiobooks, that's reading. They're engaging with a story. And actually, normally, when I tell grownups this, you can, you can like, see the stress falling off of them. They relax. Oh, they yeah. just wanted someone whose job is books mm-hmm. to tell them that their kids are okay right. and that they don't <laughs> need to actually worry that much. Um, and same with, uh, you know, with our, our early readers, those have levels assigned by publishers. Right. Publishers don't level everything the same way. There's no consistent standard. So people will, will come in and say, oh, my kids are reading in a one. And I'm like, listen, mm-hmm. pro tip, that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. not not with the with the array of books that we have. Right. So how about you and, and your kid come in and just pick something that they like? Right. And I do hear grownups telling their kids sometimes, you know, that's too old for you mm-hmm. or that's too young for you. And both of those annoy me just about equally. Right. Honestly, if a toddler pulls a chapter book off the shelf because they're not entirely familiar with the concept of like a book yet, it's free. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Let them take it home and flip through it and see like, oh, this is a lot of words and I don't know what words are and there aren't any pictures. Mm-hmm. That's an okay thing for them to learn. Um, and when I recommend, like when I'm doing reader's advisory, my, I would say that my philosophy is like... My primary goal is to be as non-judgmental as possible. We right. are here to find you a book that is going to be a good time. Mm-hmm. And even if you're with a grown-up and they're primarily talking to me, I try to primarily talk to the kid. You yes. know, unless the kid is hiding behind someone's legs. Right. Because you're the one who's going to be reading the book. Right. And I also like to make it very clear that like when I bring them suggestions or I like pitch books to them, they can tell me that sounds so boring. Yes. Like I'm like, you can say no, you can say this is not it. Like you are allowed to tell me an adult that I got it wrong or, or you can take it home. And if you don't like it, you can come back and say, Miss Mary Graham. No, (laughs) this was not it. Please give me the polar opposite of this next time or something. Right. You know, all of that. Or even check out a whole bunch of them. Read the first page. You don't like it, toss it aside, try the next one. It's not the joy a marriage. Of not finishing a book. Yes. And I think that's one of the great joys of the library, right? Is it mm-hmm. is risk free, no monetary commitment, <laughs> right. no <sunk> cost fallacy, <laughs> right. none of it. And so I just like focusing on like, what have you liked? What have you enjoyed? Doesn't even have to be a book. One of my favorite things, and I like reader's advisory myself all the time, is taking TV shows. Being sure. like, what TV do you love? Let's find you a book that's like that. Um, that's great. 
I love SpongeBob. Take me somewhere. Exactly. That is, exactly. What's the next thread? Yeah, exactly. perfect. I love that that what you said about non-judgmental as well, yeah. which is the exact precise reason why none, no one in our circulation desk, if you bring up, if cricket, adult cricket brought up 10 YA books, our circulation staff wouldn't say, boy, you sure do like teen books. Yeah, what are you doing there? In there? there wouldn't be any comment. There's no comment. No. There's yeah. no comment yeah. there. Well, at best, maybe they would say, I love that book. They'll yeah. maybe just slip that in. Yeah. Look at this one of the 10 that you got. I love. But there is no, boy, you sure do like easy readers. There's no, none of that is lobbed conversationally to make anyone self-conscious of what they're doing. We would right. never do that. I'm just saying, it's great. It's like, yeah, we're thrilled that you're here. Right. Like, full stop. This right. is your library. Right. It is for you. We're thrilled that you're here. Right. We're thrilled that you're, you know, taking stuff out, sure. that you're exploring your world. That is what we're here Also, using with. your library card is using your library card. Even if you just get 10 DVDs that star Paul Rudd, it's fine. You're <laughs> yeah. exactly fine. You wouldn't you're know anything about that. You're making look good. So thank you for that. Exactly. You're using your library. Uh, yeah. I have talked to a lot of parents who are concerned that their kids or teens are reading things that are quote unquote too old for them or too serious for them or too scary for them or too sexy for them. And I guess I can't speak for every kid, obviously, but there were a lot of times when I was a kid that I had something that maybe wasn't in the correct age range. Mm -hmm. Like recently I was telling Jeff about how when I was a little kid, I really liked the author Judy Bloom. She wrote books like Super Fudge and Tales mm-hmm. of a Fourth Grade Nothing. But Classics. she also Classics. she also wrote um, books like Forever mm-hmm. and Deanie and Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which were for an older audience. And um, I got a little mixed up sometimes. And I got the Judy Bloom books that were not for little kids when I was a little kid. And at the time, I read them and was a little bit confused but a lot of it didn't even register. It did not scar me for life. It confused me on a few things. Most of it went over my head. I returned to those books as an adult and was like, I don't even remember this part. I should have been like totally scandalized by this as a kid, but it just went over my head. And my mother, who was also a librarian, saw me reading (laughs) um, a Judy Bloom book that was out of my age range. And I remember her being kind of like, oh, okay. You know, like... (laughs) But, um, you know, I would encourage any parent who's concerned about that to let their kid go ahead and read the book and let their kid know that they can ask questions if they have any questions. Because wouldn't you rather you get to talk about it with your kid than have them be like super confused? But talking about it with your kid, you might also realize that they didn't even register the thing that you were so concerned about them seeing in print. That's a great point. This just makes me think and like brief preview to an upcoming episode in which we discuss the music man but oh makes, yes makes oh, me yes. think of of marion peru saying to eulalia mckechnishan wouldn't you rather your daughter reads a classic than eleanor glynn and uh eulalia mckechnishan says what eleanor glynn reads is her mother's problem and <laughs> it's just it's but wouldn't you wouldn't you rather your kids you know talk to you exactly um i have a tangent to go on real quick yeah super quick tangent uh it there's something to be said about what a child is exposed to. I don't want, again, I don't want this to turn into a psychology episode, but um, you had heard me rambling about how I was at a very formative age when I saw a little film called Jurassic Park. Yes. Made by a director who's kind of knows what he's doing named Steven Spielberg. He has some hits. And so uh, of course I was obsessed with that movie, like every nine year old boy. And by the age I, I was 10, I was like, oh, that this is based on a book. I want to read the book. And Michael Crichton is extremely not Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg knows what he's doing. He will give you that E.T. magic, even if it's dinosaurs. And Michael Crichton will give you kind of a mixture of pseudoscience-y thriller stuff. And most of his, I, I don't want to offend anybody, most of his books have very much the same pace, very much the same character design. Whether or not I was old enough to understand the book Jurassic Park, which is full of all kinds of wacky science stuff and very little dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> my my mom must have done the math and said, well, he just sat through a movie where he saw big dinosaurs roaring and eating people. Maybe he can handle this. And at the end of the day, I started writing short stories after that and then writing little little nerdy books. And then I became a writer. So 
It all worked out. It all worked out. And, and all because of Jurassic Park. All because of Jurassic Park. You're absolutely right about what does and doesn't register with kids and what goes over their heads. Right. And I think that this is something, so I swear this is related. I recently uh, rewatched Mel Brooks' fantastic film, Robin Hood, Men and oh! Go on. And you can do a whole podcast about this movie. <laughs> and it's because I'm currently watching Gallivant. Uh, which was a show that existed for about five minutes mm. on ABC. And I thought to myself, I want something before I finish the show that is the same flavor. Sure. And I movie advisoried myself. Sure. And the answer was Robin Hood Men in Tights. And I was allowed to watch Mel Brooks films at a relatively young age. I watched them with my parents, usually actually some of my friends like in middle school because their parents were also Mel Brooks fans. Mm -hmm. And so we would have like these interfamily movie nights and we would watch we definitely watched men in tights we probably watched young frankenstein and watching watching men in tights as a grown-up i was like on the one hand i can't believe my parents let me watch this mm -hmm. on the other hand i absolutely can because all of the jokes that i get as an adult i did not get when i was 13 mm -hmm. and there were other things about that movie that were extremely funny to me mm -hmm. and and it really all worked. And having spoken to my parents about that relatively recently, they were like, yeah, we knew it would go over your head. And <laughs> and we also like, I think that they were honestly thrilled that like, that was a movie night we could all do that like, was a grown up film right. <laughs> that they also could would, would just have watched without me, you know, if they'd wanted to, and still enjoyed. Um, and I think that that is something adults forget because adults get everything. And they're like, oh my God, mm -hmm. kids are going to understand. They're not. I promise you they're not. And right. even if they do, again, the magical joy of not finishing a book. Yeah. I think that that was one of the most important things I learned because, I mean, this is a very common occurrence with kids who say, you know, read at an advanced level when they're relatively young mm -hmm. is that they can comprehend, you know, books with a lot of, subject material that they may just not be ready for or interested in. I mean, I think about the the book uh, A Court of Thorns and Roses had not come out when I was a teenager. Um, but for those of you who don't know, it's the first in a series that at least was originally marketed as YA. I don't mm -hmm. know if it still is. Um, that's like pretty sexy. And Oh, yeah, I remember hearing about this. Yeah. I think that they did didn't they age it up out of YA? I, think I mean, that's I don't officially think, a thing. I don't think they changed, you know, anything sure. in the book, but I think that it is now cuz you know, ultimately YA is a marketing category. But I think about those books and like I have read the first one because I'm also a romance reader and one of the best ways to get me to like read a book is when people complain oh there's too much sex in it. I'm like, "Well, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> now I have to go make sure." Um, so I read A Court of Thorns and Roses and I remember reading it and thinking I would not have finished this book as a teenager. Like, I didn't really like sexy books as a teenager. I probably would have gone like, no, thank you, and closed it and read something else. I met people in grad school who were like, where was this book when I was a horny teenager? <laughs> and this is, you know, different. People have different needs, especially those teenage years. Everyone is going at their own pace. Yep. And everybody needs something different. But reading a lot of books in my teenage years that made that were like oh i didn't realize it was going to have this content not going to finish it mm -hmm. ultimately very good for me yeah and very good i think with just the way we can engage with media you know it's like if you don't if you're not enjoying a tv show you don't have to finish it <laughs> it taught you very early on how to set a boundary yes you practiced on inanimate inanimate objects first yes. and then you can move on to people and it's also just a great way to even figure out what you're comfortable with mm -hmm. and to when your boundaries change because they may not stay the same forever figure out how they're going to change and you know you're not going to hurt a book's feelings by not finishing it <laughs> So, uh, and I think that that is just, you know, I don't, I don't want to be like old woman shakes fist at cloud, you know, kids these days. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I worry that we're not emphasizing the joy of setting those kinds of media boundaries mm -hmm. as much as we could be, or just like as a way of just engaging with the world. Sure. Um, kind of like going, going with your gut. If it doesn't feel like it's for you, don't engage with it yes move on and find something else and this is perhaps an interesting segue into the censorship stuff what is particularly concerning to me about the like 
current flavor of censorship that we are dealing with across the country Mm -hmm. is that a lot of adults are operating on the, I don't want my child to read it, so no one should be able to read it principle. There are a number of problems with this. First of all, (laughs) (laughs) censorship is bad. That's the problem. Something I feel very strongly about, and this goes back to the whole kids are people thing, is that children, like not just teenagers, but I also think children, deserve a level of autonomy, particularly with respect to what they read. Because children deserve that level of privacy, I think. And it can be easy. I grew up in a in a loving, stable household with mm-hmm. parents who did monitor my reading to an extent, but it's partially, you know, they didn't want me to have nightmares right. is basically right. the extent of it. Um, but I know people, I grew up with people who, if their parents had found out what they had checked out on their library card or what they were reading on their own, that could have been very bad. Mm-hmm. And... That is part of my job that I take very seriously is privacy and the right of children to read what they want. Because, you know, what if you are a gay kid somewhere in a family where that is just not going to be acceptable? You know, because people will will say in the current sort of censorship battles, you know, you can have control over what your own kids read, but you can't control what what other kids read. And I really think that's only half true. I actually think like, no. I think your gay kids should get to read all the gay books their little heart desires. But like on the same token, like what if you didn't let your kid read a book with dinosaurs in it because you were afraid they would turn into a dinosaur? Like it just doesn't make sense. Like reading about something doesn't mean it's going to come true. Right. As you can see, I know this is not a visual. You can only hear me. I did not, in fact, turn into a dinosaur. Can Um, confirm. Jeff is a human being. We're we're looking at him right now, listener. We would not lie to you. I can't work the mixing board with Tyrannosaurus arms. It's just... (laughs) Big head and little arms. I'm really not sure how well this plan was put together. But if I was, (laughs) maybe just, you know, explore their feelings and thoughts on it. Yeah. um, I mean, what I... And unfortunately, that requires a level of openness that a lot of people don't have. Right. And what makes me so sad about so much of this is that, you know, across the country, most of this is race-based and most of this is based in a, a, a fear and hatred of sexualities and gender identities mm-hmm. that diverge from you know cisgender heteronormative identities uh and unfortunately that's what that's what kills gay kids that's yeah. what kills queer kids is not not only you know not having access to these stories where they see themselves you know but but being told you know watching these these stories get thrown out mm-hmm. just as we're starting to make a little bit of progress oh i know but we certainly here in ferndale try to keep our collection with uh, a lot of those stories, wide range of yes. experiences. A and... true library collection should have something in it to offend everyone. Right. Myself included. Yeah. I used to do the political science collection. Oh, bless you. Well, it brings it back to that core thing of equity and access, universal access. Mm-hmm. We have everything on the shelf. Yeah. That if you do want to read it, it is here. Yeah. If you want to read it. If you want to read it. And that's the thing is that you can make that choice for yourself. Yeah, You're exactly. the one with the library card. Right. And none of us are pushing the books into your hands right. because as I stated, when I do reader's advisory, I can hand you a book and you can say, no, thanks. And hand it right back to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, the, the, when I think about, you know, all of that access, you don't, you don't become a person when you turn 18. Right. You know, you become a person the minute you get here. Right. Um, or you are ever, again, psychology podcast, you are ever becoming a person. Exactly. That too. That too. But yeah, I really do <laughs> think that 10-year-olds should be able to come in and take their books out and like... Right. Yeah. I want to read a Michael Crichton book. Yeah. I'm only 10. <laughs> and like, by the way, what a common experience that is. Yeah. I had classmates when we were 11 where, you know, reading Stephen King, mm-hmm. which, Okay. Like, right. that is a, I haven't seen uh, the newest Pixar film turning red yet, but, you know, I've read reviews and like this, I think it's like an anime fan fiction notebook that these girls pass around between them. Peak middle school. Sure. Like all of my friends and I are going, oh, we weren't the only ones who did that. Like <laughs> across the country, we're all like, oh, we all had our own form of the anime fan, fan, oh, fan yeah. fiction notebook. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, you know, I am finding that, like a lot of these experiences of, you know, you know, kid reading it when they're right. 10 years old or something like that, right. or like this kind of like group storytelling getting passed around. This is also common. It is, it is, it is, it is. And I'll, 
I'll tell you right now on the podcast. If you want to know whether or not one of my short stories as an 11 year old was Jurassic Park fanfic, <laughs> of course it was Jurassic Park fanfic. Do you know how many times I like sat bolt upright as an adult and went, oh, it's fanfiction all along. That's what that was in middle school. I didn't, I didn't know what fan fiction was yet, but I was writing it. Right, like, right. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's just, it's, it's tricky being a child. It's tricky being a teenager. It's tricky becoming an adult. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important things for me as an adult who works with children mm -hmm. and works with books written for children, but written by adults. Mm -hmm. This is the tricky thing about children's literature mm -hmm. is that it's not written by the people it's for is staying in touch with all of those weird things I did as a kid. Oh, yeah. You know, I actually started keeping a journal when I was 12 because I would ask my mom about all of these things from when she was in middle school. I would be like, you know, this is happening in my middle school friend group. Like, what happened when you were in middle school? And she right. was like, I can't remember. And I was like, how can you not remember? Because right. it was my whole world. It felt right. so big. And so I was like, I'm going to write this down in case I ever, like, have right. a kid and, like, need to be able to remember. And I'm so glad I did because I've forgotten everything. Mm -hmm. I've forgotten everything. Mm -hmm. But I do still have these journals <laughs> from right. when I was 12. And I'm like, I'm not going to go back and look at them for my own sake because that sounds like a terrible way to pass an afternoon. But if a kid in my life is ever, like... Well, what was it like when you were in middle school? I will be like, 12-year-old me had my back, and I'm just going to go check the record really quick, and I'll get right back to you. Mm -hmm. I've gone back through mine, and it's a really good way of, um, you know, acquainting yourself with discomfort, I would say. No, true. <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to sit here and marinate That's in awkwardness. Such a diplomatic way to put right. it, Cricket. <laughs> Because I would probably put it, that's such a great way to feel like I need to go hide under my blanket. <laughs> you need practice feeling your uncomfortable feelings. Take a gander at your 12-year-old journal. I mean, honestly, it wouldn't be a bad practice for children's librarians to get into. It, yeah. It, I've actually done that too, but it's fun because I can say to myself, Oh, people think I'm so cool and professional now. They have no idea how <laughs> awkward. Mary Graham, do you think Jeff is cool and professional? Oh, uh, damn. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to read. air cricket, so I'll uh, meet you in the break room after we're done. <laughs> I am going to reach my Tyrannosaur arm up and close this podcast. What I, what I wanted to say, um, rar, rar, uh, <laughs> is that when I was in middle school and high school and when I was wandering through looking for books about Switzerland is I was figuring out what I liked, yes. figuring out who I am. And, you know, for I had a sports period. I'm not into sports anymore. Okay. I thought I maybe was. I had a big video game period. Maybe I, I'm not into video games anymore, but I was just figuring things out, just going around, reading Goosebumps, reading Michael Crichton. And this is something that I think is especially important today when, and again, I don't want to be like old woman Shakespeare stick cloud about anything, especially social media. However, however, <laughs> Mr. Social Media, yes. you're on the podcast. Please tear um, it down. It can be so easy, I think, to feel like you have to have a brand. Exactly. You know, now as like a young person and or I mean, as anyone, but especially it, it feels like especially hard as a young person right. right now because everyone's got their vibe. Everyone's got their aesthetic. And like, right. listen. I like to think I have my own aesthetic. Like, right. it's self-expression is fun. Totally. Sure. Please, please, please do not feel like you have to stick with the first thing you try. Right. Or stick with anything ever. Right. You can have your sports period and then be like, nah, it's not for me. Right. You can have, you can do, you know, have all of these changes. Like, I uh, was a diehard historical fiction reader as a child. Uh -huh. And I still am. I did not like scary books at all as a child. Mm -hmm. Now I'm reading a bunch of gothic novels. That's great. Because why not? Because why not? And because it's what I feel like now. Right. And it's okay that I didn't feel like it before. Right. It's not inconsistent. You're not a hypocrite. You know, it's right. just, please yeah. just come try things. Yeah. I was into horse books for about a year. Every single horse book I could get my hands on. Then I moved on to gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Then I moved, like, I got super into the Babysitter's Club. Right. And then I was like, Ugh, done with that. You know, you just yeah. right. try it on. And honestly, it can even be fun. It's just, like, those phases of your life. I mean, I still do this right. with, like, my the various fandoms that I move through. Right. It's like I'll be really into something for, like, a year or two, sure. and I'll make a lot of friends, and I'll keep those friends when I've moved on sure. from the fandom, and I'll think of it fondly, but I'll move on to something, something else will catch my attention. Sure. And I'll... That's okay. I'll say that, uh, again, 
just com- complete generalization here, but the the YA books and even the YA books that are maybe making people nervous are just that. They are containing extremely relatable characters who are all just trying to figure out who they are. Set aside what the plot of the book might, might be. Mm-hmm. But they are often protagonists who probably are awkward and probably are just figuring out, figuring themselves out. Yeah. That's just what the story is. That's what we were all doing. Yep. Mm-hmm. I didn't even ask you the one question I brought you on the podcast for. It was just what it was like to be a youth librarian during a pandemic. And I just thought that. that's a that's an excellent question. And like, if we have time, I do also want to talk about the books that shaped us. Oh, yeah. Things like that. Oh, um, certainly. OK, so yes, youth librarianship during the pandemic. So when I first started working in the library, mm-hmm. I was in grad school. Um, I was finishing my last semester of library school uh, in spring of 2020 so i was furloughed uh, oh in march of 2020 from my part-time library job um and interestingly enough i was not in boston at the time okay. i had come home on spring break to visit my parents when everything shut down oh. so i was uh like we surprised three month long visit to my parents with one week's worth of clothes sure. um <laughs> sure so oh my gosh. uh my boston apartment became a very expensive storage unit for three months oh, until no. my mother and i could go drive 12 hours in one go to clean it out oh my um, gosh it was a whole thing <laughs> so yeah i was i was furloughed uh in march and then we were not brought back in any meaningful capacity before i would have been moving away from boston anyway and would have you know left my my job um just for those practical reasons so from march of 2020 to like july mm-hmm. of 2021 i was not working in libraries and i was i was terrified that this like had had like wrecked it because oh man partially because um i feel like the people in the sort of library generation behind me were told this is a great time to become a librarian everyone's about to retire and then the economy crashed and no one retired uh, was yes, this you that, that was me okay right. um i was like where are all these full-time jobs i was told would be like lining up for me yeah and so i was like oh god now it's happened to me to um this ultimately turned out not to be the case because everybody who didn't retire in 2008 finally threw their hands up right during the pandemic right. uh and so i i was worried like you know i i had to get another job uh it was a, a work from home job in a completely different field and on the one hand i'm grateful that it allowed me to stay very safe and and help keep my family safe for a year but i missed libraries so much mm-hmm. and uh i would just check the postings every so often for what was what was around um found the ferndale posting like just because I decided to check the website that day. Oh, perfect. And I'm so glad I did. We're um, so lucky. I know. Um, and uh, and was was hired and started here in August of 2021, which was only about two months after the library opened to the public again. Right. So we were we were complete. We were shut to the public from what March of 2020 to June of 2021. That's correct. Yeah. We were partially opened. June to July, fully in July, yeah. we're back. And you were doing curbside. We were doing like, curbside while we were closed. Yeah. And uh, so and you were so, you were able to come back and actually connect with people. Well, sort of, sort of, because you know I would I would my first honestly probably a couple of months working the desk. You know I was this was when I was going through every book in right. the nonfiction collection book by book, right. and I had a lot of time to do it on desk because right. there was no one here. Right. You know the building was open. I was definitely like pulling holds in the morning and stuff like that. Right. And, and the sort of normal library work of not necessarily face-to-face patron right. interaction. Um, but was, you know, it was a combination of potentially not quite feeling safe or comfortable yet. Yeah. But this also terrible thing of going to the library had actually fallen out of habit. Yes. And the routine was well, and particularly working back in the kids corner when I, I think when I started working here, we either didn't have a vaccine for it wasn't kids not for, yet. for the kids or, yet yeah, yeah for kids yet or it had like just started had it meant authorized and we still don't have one for under fives and this is something that i think about in my own you know personal behavior right. is that even though we all all the all the staffs wearing masks here a lot of people back in the kids corner are wearing masks with their families we've right. got plexiglass around the desk you know i still think about i work with children who literally cannot get shots right and so you know, that does affect how I'm 
living outside of work because I want to help keep them safe. Sure. Um, so, you know, I would be on desk and it would just be dead, like, right. all day. And Jordan would come out and say, it didn't used to be like this. Right, you know? right. They're always, I promise we actually, like, do things here. Um, Happy ending, though. It's gotten busier. It has gotten so it's gotten much busier. Much busier. Which is so great. It's so great. People are coming in. It's so much fun to watch kids, like, make those one-off friends with mm-hmm. just, like, the other kid who is at the hotel pool, the library, at the same time as the grocery <laughs> hotel store. Hotel pool of friends. Long, right? Hotel pool <laughs> friends. Um, you know, while their their parents are talking to each other and they're like, this is boring. Like, right. let's go pay, play with the magnetiles. Exactly. Um, fantastic. Love, love, love watching that. Love watching, you know, kids who you look at them and you do the math and you're like, oh, these kids have not socialized with children outside of their household mm-hmm. you know and now they're starting so, to do it they're so doing a great little back. job it's it's awesome um the other weird thing is story time yeah so i did a story time this morning over zoom and i'm ad- adjusting to it but it's just you don't get the same kind of feedback right as when you're doing story time in person and i did a lot of in-person story times at my last library and just really enjoy it because I was a theater kid and there's just something about even if your audience is two-year-olds uh getting up in front of them and you know watching (laughs) watching their little faces giving them the old razzle dazzle give them the old razzle dazzle um showbiz baby you know not a visual Um, medium but they both did jazz hands yeah (laughs) um and and there's uh there's one person who comes to the zoom story times and she always emails me afterwards you know to tell me how much her granddaughter enjoyed it which is very very kind and i really appreciate that and it's just never going to be the same you know as a toddler yelling yay or something like that yeah so that's been you know but again we think about who's our audience we don't want Mm -hmm. you know a bunch of kiddos who basically have no immunity Mm -hmm. sneezing on each other sure um and i'm hoping you know we're all hope the whole department is working on this and and figuring out when we can get any kind of like in-person story time Mm -hmm. back in session. And I don't have answers and I can't make promises, but believe me, we want it as much as you do. We just wouldn't be able to live with ourselves if we didn't do it as safely as possible. Right. Yeah. We've covered a lot of ground. I just wanted to wrap up with that fun note. Maybe it's kind of a round robin of the books we actually did read as kids. We've been talking about kids this whole time. What were we actually reading? I'll go first and I'll talk about a book I read in fifth grade that I that really um I don't even know what the uh, emotion was it got me it just got me excited um I tried to reread it and I wasn't I wasn't as into it full disclosure I guess but uh it is um Ellen Raskin's The Westing Game oh yeah just loved it that seems like a very Jeff book it's a very Jeff book um I remember being uh mystery based mm-hmm. and I wasn't I never got my hands on the mixed up files of Basil, Basil E. Frankweiler, Frank one I, of my favorites. I wonder if it's in that same sort of vein of you know kids figuring stuff out, and it's just exciting to read. Yeah, that was all I had to bring to the table because <laughs> you guys already know I read Goosebumps and Michael Crichton, but that was a book that was very invigorating as a kid. Um, so for me, uh, also Narnia, also Narnia, also Narnia. Um, so Narnia also big for me. Although uh, I tried to make like lists of like specifically what i read that i got out of the library yeah yeah um because like the narnia books i had um those were those were family set uh the american girl books uh which some of them i owned but there's so many of them that i got a lot of those out from the library um read them all and from there graduated to uh, the pleasant company also had this series called girls of many lands which was for slightly older readers and it was set around different parts of the world not just not just different parts of what is now the united states um so loved those they're not in print anymore but i own them all and i'm never getting rid of them the dear america series which was a serialized uh, historical fiction again i mean truly i was (laughs) making the list and i was like oh i can just draw a straight line straight line baby's first historical fiction to the next step up and the next step up and the next step up which you know there was something to be said about the kind of serialized but not series like not books that built on each other Mm -hmm. projects from scholastic of you know the dear america books were like these fictional diaries of these girls during different parts of american history the sort of level up from that was the royal diary series but for these fictional diaries of various female royals throughout history 
ate it all up <laughs> with a spoon. And it very much shows both in what I, you know, still like to read for pleasure and just the kinds of history I'm still interested in. Right. But because there were so many books in all of those series and they were usually hardcovers, which meant they were more expensive, like those came out of the library. Uh, and I remember just like taking a stack of like Carolyn Meyer novels home in the summer and I would sit in the hammock and just go through them like they were a bag of chips. It's fantastic. Perfection. Yeah. I'm just going to talk about one. Because it was my very favorite. Is it horse related? It's not. Okay. Um, and with the caveat, it was already probably like 15 or 20 years old when I discovered it. But Harriet the Spy by Louise oh. Fitzhugh. Mm-hmm. Um, such a weird little book. Uh, I still love it. I don't know that I would recommend it to a lot of kids these days. But for me, I just loved the way <laughs> she was walking around, peeping on all her neighbors, getting immersed into their stories, writing everything down. She had a nanny who would, you know, tell her a kind of odd things sometimes. Like, sometimes it is okay to tell lies. So, again, not sure. I might get in trouble for recommending this one to kids now. I just it's loved it. It's a classic. It's a classic. It's an absolute classic. Um, and I love the way she just, Harriet, just, like, totally messes up mm-hmm. um, and is able to just, like, keep going as a I, person. I have talked to people who grew up with that book and loved that book, even though I didn't read it. Um but they have come to appreciate how that that towing the line between using the V word of voyeur, but uh, it makes them obs- <laughs> it feels like it made them observant of the world, open to the world, mm-hmm. and it, they also became writers because of that book. Yep. So mm-hmm. I had a little composition book. Mm-hmm. I would take it mm-hmm. on my bike ride around the neighborhood. Right. Look for people to spy on was never bold enough to actually go and like stick my head up against someone's window. So it would never like quite right. happen in the way. But I would kind of play act that idea i think the the uh healthy thing is maybe you became a spy of nature you are now actually stopping to appreciate a tree uh which is a poem maybe anyway i think that i shall never see a poem lovely as a tree exactly you become that later if you read Harry the Spy, I think that is is um, proven math again. Or maybe I'll be podcast. arrested for jumping into someone's dumb way. Right, or which we don't want. I'm not do. making any promises. Right, great book. If I can imagine it of any of my coworkers, it would be you, Cricket. Thank you, Mary Graham. You're welcome. But, I mean, I didn't even read Harry the Spy because, like, I was massively uninterested in most realistic fiction. Uh, from the mixed up files, got me because that was an art museum. And right. I was like close enough. There's some history there. Um, so you know, I I never read Judy Bloom, not out of any like you know other kind of thing and then right. it was like oh well this didn't happen in right. the renaissance so right. pass um <laughs> but, but i did definitely pick up the whole like children are nosy and right. and also observant and i right. definitely was like oh if i like look closely i can see things about the world that grown-ups are missing and for me it was more like are there fairies in the garden right <laughs> but you know it did i learned the names of a lot of flowers as a child <laughs> for, i mean exactly because i was like "Ooh, what's that because right. i was looking out for it but again figuring out what you like and uh, just kind of absorbing what you can again i walked away knowing that i shouldn't play with science I shouldn't try to bring dinosaurs back to life. I know that. And you know more than Victor Frankenstein because of that. I know more than Victor Frankenstein because I read Jurassic Park. And it was fun to read. How about that? I learned something and it was fun. So there. So there. That's that's what we should title the the episode. I learned something and it was fun. And it was fun. And like truly, that is what I want my children's room to be. Right. This welcoming place. Come in. Say hi. Right. This is your space. And you know... Let's learn something. Let's have fun. All right. And that was our chat with Mary Graham. We ended on a great note there, uh, learning, but also having fun. Mary Graham, thanks again for being here. Thank you for having me. That was so fantastic. Cricket, former teen librarian. That's me. Tapping back into your days of teen librarianship. Getting back to my roots. Your time in in cold basements and in academic libraries. Were you in a basement? I I was not, actually. It was a warehouse. I did have to wear fingerless gloves, so it was a similar vibe. Very official. They also have to wear fingerless gloves in historical archives. 
and I just saw Mary Graham smile just because I said the word history, which it was it was actually because at my library school, there was a large archives program. And if you mentioned the word gloves near one of the archivist students, they would go, no gloves, just wash your hands. Because uh, if you are wearing gloves when you handle historic documents, this is what happens when you go to Simmons. They like, they give you your diploma on the condition that you give the spiel every time, even if you weren't an archivist. Uh, If you wear gloves when you're handling historic documents, you lose the tactile sense in your fingers and it is easy to treat the documents too roughly. And so you just need to wash and thoroughly dry your hands. And this has been a public service announcement on behalf of Simmons University. Heck yeah. I'd just like to add that that's why I was wearing fingerless gloves. Yes. I was because like, I that was is, cold. That is brilliant, And I still actually, needed my fingers. Because you have you have the tactile nature of your fingers and you are and the slightly warmth. less cold. Yes. Also, this whole episode was about not losing touch. So oh. you have enjoyed another episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. And the music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is by a local musician, John Duffy. If you want to support this podcast, please go to ferndalefriends.org or rate, review, subscribe, leave a comment, tell a friend about it. And if you've enjoyed this uh, this uh, wonderfully rambling episode, I love having Mary Graham Cricket here. Share it to social media. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. 